Easy. Ja, ja! Daar is Klaassen. Hello, it's podcast 61 from Football Anya, your home of Dutch football. I'm Michael Statham and I'm with Jonathan Beck, our special guest today, who is an English language commentator on Eredivisie games. We're going to discuss the Europa League and Champions League games involving Ajax, PSV, Feyenoord, RZ. Also, the reaction to the Eredivisie, PSV 1, Ajax 1, Feyenoord continue to struggle. You're listening to us on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Football Nation Radio. Make sure you give us a like wherever you're listening and subscribe too. Enjoy. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for joining me. It's, um, we really appreciate you joining us on Football Anya. Uh, and you were commentating um, for IMG Media for PSV1, Ajax1. Um, your commentary was broadcast across the whole world. What did you make of it? I was uh, really, really enjoyed the intensity, I have to say, Michael. That, thanks for having me on. It was, it was one of those games that, because it's the first one the, between the big three, everyone's looking forward to it. Everyone, players, fans, you know, watchers, managers, everyone is basically trying to see where each team sits. Because both have had a great week in Europe. Both have come through match days one and we scored three goals and got the first victory. Both began the season with a draw and then have won the other games. PSV have certainly improved over the last few weeks. So I think everybody was keen to see, can they measure up against Ajax? They hadn't been beaten at home for 50 league games, stretching back more than three years. So that was on the line. The intensity was good early on. I really enjoyed the, the fact that there was a little bit of edge to it. There was a bit of pushing and shoving between Ziyech and Sadilek, which was showed the passion and the, and the fans were really up for it, as you'd expect on a, on a game like that. Um, and I really enjoyed watching this, this young PSV side, as well as Ajax, who seemed to be the benchmark now when it comes to passing and free-flow football. There was a real... The first three minutes, I have to say, was was sort of reminiscent of the 1974 World Cup final where Ajax just kept the ball and kept the ball and like the Dutch did against the Germans and then won a penalty. They just kept the ball for like three minutes without PSV even being able to touch it or, or get a sniff of it. And it was incredible. It didn't come to anything, but it was it was fantastic to watch Ajax do that in Eindhoven. Um and then Promise should have scored before half-time, which might have put a different slant on the game. He did eventually score with a nicely taken goal in the second half. And then for the first time in a long time, Ajax were opened up right down the middle. Great run from deep from Daniel Marlon, played in by Gakpo, and he scores again. Seven goals in three games. He's the, the league's leading marksman. Um, and the stories will carry on. You know, you got the headlines for scoring five against Vitesse. Inevitably, you get British tabloids thinking that suddenly Arsenal are going to buy him back, having sold him for half a million, and that somebody else is going to buy him. But I thought it was refreshing to see Bomb Bomb make a change and for it to pay off with Gakpo setting him up. And you don't see Ajax opened up like that too often, not down the middle. So all in all, I predicted a draw. I predicted a two-all draw in advance. I thought a draw was probably about right. I, based on the first half, I had expected more goals. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I did, it kind of felt at half-time that it was a, the most surprising thing was that it was 0-0. So I would probably say a draw was about right. Ajax top on goal difference, PSV behind them now. And um, yeah, it, I think what we've seen is that both sides could do really, really well this year. And it's going to be very difficult for anybody to get close to them. Yeah, your point about perhaps expecting a few more goals. Personally, I thought that was because 
Um, Ajax were lacking a little bit in sharpness today in, in attack. We've seen them be a lot more deadly. Um, and yes, whilst there's some really good playing, you mentioned that possession and the interplay that we were seeing, um, which was great and very typical of Ajax. They lacked a little bit of sharpness in and around the final third today. I think just making that those bigger, bigger chances to make PSV really sweat. Uh, I still would say that Jurinza was perhaps PSV's man of the match. Um, he he had some things to do. And Ajax perhaps can count themselves a little bit unfortunate not to come away with a win. I think that this game goes to show yet again that Ajax are the favourites to win the Eredivisie this season though because even though PSV were home, Ajax seemed to be having the better of possession um, and in terms of making chances. Although that's happened in the past, hasn't it, Jonathan, where PSV have been at home and not have seen much of the ball, but managed to beat Ajax at home. And it, and some in, in some previous cases, that has been in vain because PSV has still come runners-up in the title race. But yeah, the I think PSV deserve that draw in the end, though, because of the endeavour they showed and some of the play that Ihatala and Marlon were showing today was, was great. Um, and, and the goal was fully deserved for Marlon. Yet again, showing that he's a player with form and he's going to progress this season. Yeah, I think some of these links with with Arsenal are very premature. But I think that by the end of the season, he will be justifying his um, links to these bigger clubs. And yeah, Marlon is certainly a player in progression. And I look forward to seeing him play more for the Netherlands as well. Because next season, we could be seeing him after a successful year of 2020, perhaps, um, go in to a, a much bigger club than PSV. Yeah, it's a good statement from PSV, giving him the number nine when Luke de Jong left. Um, scoring on his debut when he came on as a sub for the Netherlands was a fantastic way to introduce himself. I mean, I know players like um, I know players like Vincent Janssen did that as well, um, coming on and coming to prominence. But um, he made a very big step to England probably too soon and, and wasn't able to make that step up from RZ to Spurs. Marlon's already been in England, you know, didn't break through at Arsenal has come back having left the Ajax Academy. And, you know, he bided his time last year to well, a lot of the time he came on. He was played wide, wasn't he? He came on as a an impact sub um, and played, you know, someone he did play down the middle. Luke de Jong was sort of dropped into a number 10 role, strangely, towards the end of last season. But often he was he was came on wide. So Van Bommel has been, been quite good with him in terms of easing him in gently and not placing too much expectation on him. The same with the Hatteran, you have to say only came to prominence really in January uh, and he's had half a season before this but the hype around him was huge he played across midfield he tested him out right and left to try and fit in holding midfielders as well he played him in the front three occasionally so he's had a very good football education uh, under Van Bommel to the point where I think he now feels the manager that he can play that creative role and at the age of 17 you know he was bossing the game against Sporting he was man of the match two assists a wonderful one for Marlon's first goal and, uh, yeah, he's a real find, you know, and the question now with him, uh, in a way with Serginio Dest, which he can come on to as well in a moment, is where, where will he go? You know, he's he's uh, from Moroccan descent, born in the Netherlands. Uh, will he choose the Dutch? Will he choose Morocco? We've had the situation before when Danny Blint was in charge with Hakim Ziyech, who was called up and then not called up and then not used, and eventually he plumped for Morocco, and he's one that really got away from the Dutch FA, so they won't want to make the same mistake again. No, that's right. It's a very special player is in the making there. Just 17 years old. But yeah, aside from, from Ihatad and, and Marlon, 
and around that PS3 today weren't showing much quality in the middle of the park for me. Uh, what did you make of Rosario with, with Hendricks in midfield? You know, is this a midfield that's going to win the Eredivisie title and really challenge in the Europa League this season? I don't know. They, they, it's difficult to see. You know, like you, t- you touched on before, Ajax not being sharp, which is, which is probably true. I mean, give, well, although Promise missed a great chance and Tardic at the end of the first half could have played in there instead of going himself. You know, they, they could have had three without looking as sharp as they were. I would say the same about PSV. But in flashes, there was pace on the break with Bergwijn and Aertaren, but they were largely kept quiet. Um, and they tried to mirror... Ajax, I think, with that too. They, you know, PSV have had usually a one holding, and then two ahead of them. Today, I think Rosario and, and Hendricks were both that bit deeper, sort of mirroring what Alvarez and Martinez were doing for Ajax. And I don't know whether that just gives them less to play between the lines. It meant, that, I suppose, more space for Etaran to to move around between the lines, and he did that quite well. But um, I don't know. I, I don't think they'll play that way. Uh, against the the lesser lights in the division, I'm not sure if it gives them enough creativity in midfield. To be honest, you know, I don't know Pereiro's missing, injured, and usually has a great game against Ajax. As you know, his previous stats of assists and goals in these games will tell you that. Um, and I know he's drifted in and out of favour under Van Bommel with his attitude and preferred it sometimes last year. But I just think, yeah, I don't think that that is the way forward. Maybe in the the bigger games against uh, against Ajax, it provides the extra screen. I would like to see PSV with just one of them in there, whether that's Hendricks or Rosario. Just one final note on this game, Jonathan, before we move on to um, other matters. I'd like to get your opinion on um, Mark Van Bommel as a whole and how you think he's done with PSV so far this season because at the start of the campaign, there was he came in for a lot of criticism, didn't he? It seemed as though he was starting to turn results around. Um, we saw a 5-0 win against Vitesse and then a 3-2 win um, over Sporting Lisbon in the Europa League in midweek, which we'll come on to shortly. Uh, but yeah, a draw today with Ajax, does that keep the sort of positivity around Van Bommel or do you think that some of his decisions were questionable today? I think it keeps the optimism. Yeah, I have to say it's a, uh, you know, they, they have this remarkable record, which predates him you know, going back three and a bit years till to the point where Feyenoord were the last team to beat them in September uh, 2016 at home in the league so they've made it 51 games now and I think he has you know he's drawing at Twente on the opening weekend was 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 clearly a surprise to many the way Twente played since then up to Friday you know it's looked it's looked uh, not so much a, a fluke on their behalf because they've played really really well I think he's um He's he's had to do a little bit more rejigging and rebuilding perhaps than Ellington Haag has. You know he's lost Lozano, which was a a big 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 player for him. Um, he lost Angelino, which gave them so much on the left hand side in terms of coming forward. You know Boscali he dropped today for a more defensive Sadilek, who's nominally a midfielder but has played there at the start of the season before Boscali came in. And when they needed an equaliser, they you know he threw him on as a, as an attacking option. But he's had to, you know, the balance of the side with Dumfries on one side and Angelino on the other was affected by the Spaniards' departure back to Manchester City. So that's taken time to remedy. The, you know, the partnership with Lozano then, you know, is broken up and they get a lot of money for him to go to Napoli, which is fine. But Bruma, you know, takes time to settle to come in. Gakpo came on and made a change today. 
So, yeah, they've got the options there. He's tried out Bergwijn as a 10 already rather than playing wide, although he was back in that wide role today. So he's had a few problems to wrestle with and, you know, key players to, to, to manage to fix and, and fit in. So it's probably not a surprise that it's taken him a little bit of time uh, to get that kind of balance right. In the same way, I suppose Ten Hag has not so much stumbled on a solution, but um, he's bought two centre-halves who have now turned into two excellent midfielders in Martinez and Alvarez. When uh, Donny van der Beek is back, how he fits Donny in, along with Quincy Promise as well, and keeps David Neres happy, then we'll have to see. But yeah, I think they, they both had um, they both had problems to deal with. And von Bommel had had early issues uh, with losing to Basel, which was one of the tougher draws they could have got in the second qualifying round, which meant that they are now obviously following the Europa League path. So they had a lot of big games early on. And the same as Ajax, they had to get the personnel ready and make sure they qualified for European tournaments to help the coefficient, to help their own season. So I would say all in all, it's a positive, the draw today. I think he'll he'll look on it that way. They're still level with Ajax. They're only behind on goal difference. So going forward, I think, uh, yeah, they'll, they'll have a, a positive outlook. I think when you break it down, like you have there, Jonathan, I think you've got a good point about Mark van Bommel. It's easy to be negative when you see a string of poor results. But yeah, both managers, um, Ten Hag and Van Bommel, have had problems to contend with. And they it's like the same for all Dutch Dutch sides. They need to readjust given the, the sales departures. And with the new players, they have to bed them in and get them used to the style of play. And it may just be as simple as that for both managers that they've, they've had to um, readjust everything that their side was about. Um, I know Ajax are reeling from, from the sales of De Ligt and De Jong and they've adjusted now. And I think there's a little bit more fluidity about their style of play. Um, they, they no longer rely on De Jong to make the play. Uh, let's move on to actually talking a bit more about Ajax there because you mentioned Alvarez and Martinez as that sort of midfield um, duo for Ajax when they were largely expected to be the new centre-back duo. In midweek, Ajax recorded their first win of a Champions League campaign over Lille. Um, what did you make of the performance then, Jonathan? Because, again, you were busy commentating on that match and you again got to see Alvarez and Martinez in the middle of the park. Was that vital in the victory or do you think that's something that Ten Hag still got to work on? Because he's been changing his defence in midfield quite a lot in the early stages of the season. He has. Um, Blint started in there before Alvarez was able to come. I mean, he's had a, a pretty much non-stop summer, Alvarez, with the Gold Cup uh, and then the transfer and coming in. So he gave him time, Ten Hag, to, to acclimatise. He took him to the games. He took him abroad in the Champions League qualifiers without playing him. And now he's had a little bit more of a, a pre-season and a break and he's got up to speed. So I think he, he looks he looks the real deal. And I know they were, he was bought, you know, that, that deal was lined up. They knew De Ligt was going. That deal was lined up and announced in the days after he went. Martinez was uh, more of a, I guess, a, an auxiliary purchase, if you like. But at 7 million euro, he looks real snip. He looks like an excellent player. And, he's you know, he started at centre-half. He's played every game so far. And he looks, he really does look the real deal. His left foot is brilliant when it comes to those diagonal balls to try and find Ziyech or Neres on the flanks. I do think that's uh, that's going forward going to be the partnership that uh, they want. Alvarez has played in midfield and did so for Mexico internationally and did, you know, the end of last season when they bought him from Club America. 
So they, they scouted him as a centre-half. And then when they carried on watching him last season, more and more he was playing in midfield. So Ten Hag knew he could do that. Whether or not he saw him or Rasvan Marin as the long-term successor this season to Frankie de Jong, I don't know. Marin started off in there, but hasn't really featured at all. He was about to come on because they thought Daley Blint was injured in the game today. And then he didn't manage to get on at all because Blint managed to shake off whatever it was, the problem he had. So I think they provide a, a really good screen. You have Martinez, who sits a little deeper, and uh, Alvarez, who's able to get forward, as we saw, to great effect when he scored the second goal against Lille. And he just provides that, that calmness on the ball that Daley Blint was providing in there. And when you play against teams that sit a little deeper, then Blint is almost a midfielder on his own. We saw against Apoel and Pauk, who were sitting so, so deep, that he was able to dictate things from the halfway line as well and come in. So I think the Lille game was uh, going forward was very encouraging. Eric Ten Hag was very realistic that they gave too many chances away on the counter-attack, and he'd already cited the, the threat that they had coming forward with Victor Osimhen, the new striker who really, on another day, might have found himself with two goals and it might have been a different kind of outlook on the game. Onana got the man of the match and put in a decent performance with good saves at the right time. I think Ajax, everyone acknowledged Ajax deserved to win, but uh, Ten Hag also acknowledged that if they gave PSV that many chances and that sort of open space, then they'd exploit them. He was also talking about the too many tricks and flicks. He's a He's very pragmatic. You know, he wants tricks and flicks for the right end result. You know, when he, he was moaning at too many back heels going astray and giving the ball away, which is a cardinal sin for him. He applauded the, um, the pirouettes from Martinez and from Serginio Dest during the game, but he was uh, well aware also that there was a few too many fancy down moves that were going astray. But I think overall, Lille will trouble the likes of Valencia and Chelsea. I can't see them being beaten every game. They came second in the French League and they have lost... You know, their best players, but at the same time, they could easily have scored once or twice. And I don't think anybody would have complained too much had Ajax won 3-2 based on the balance of chances. So I think they'll give other teams a threat, particularly at home. And Ajax have been very fortunate to keep a clean sheet and to beat them 3-0 in the opening day. Still, it bodes well if they can now go to Valencia match day two uh, and pick up at least a draw. And then, you know, they feel like Ajax followed up a great opening win last season against Ike Athens with a one-all draw away in Munich at Bayern. So who's to say they can't go to Valencia and, and get at least a draw? And then they're well set for the home game against Chelsea. Indeed, there will be. Um, I'd like to open our, our questions from Twitter for this podcast. One of them here is about Ajax. It's from Abdul. Uh, he says, does Ajax have a chance to win first place in their Champions League group? And I guess based on the evidence we saw against Lille that yes they do have a chance because this group is it's really open that win over Lille was a very good one but it does show that Ajax still have a few concerns defensively but I think in the spirit of Ajax and Ten Hag they just trust the fact that they are going to play their own way and <laughs> simply outscore the opponent um, but I think the answer to this lies within the ties against Valencia and Chelsea. Um, obviously, the next three games, you know, Valencia away, then Chelsea home and away, they're, they're going to be the vital games, aren't they? And that will determine whether Ajax can be first place in the group. Do you, are you confident that they'll qualify, Jonathan, first of all? 
I think they can. I'm, I'm confident that they'll qualify. I mean, I've seen plenty of reviews when the groups were made that had Ajax in first place and Chelsea in second. I'm not sure about that. I'm, I mean, Chelsea are one of the better teams that they could have faced out of pot one when you consider the opposition that they might have been drawn against. And when you consider some of the other groups, particularly Barcelona, Bayern, uh, Barcelona, Dortmund and um, Inter Milan, which would have been a, a very, very difficult group indeed to go into. But they were they were protected a little bit being in pot two, but they could easily have had Inter Milan out of pot three instead of Valencia. And they could have had Leipzig, you know, instead of Lille out of pot four. I would say Leipzig and Lille were two of the, the strongest teams in pot four, but Leipzig have already shown domestically and in Europe that they're going to be a, a difficult team to play against as well. So when it was made, I was I was fairly happy the draw. I was I thought Valencia were a good side, but not insurmountable. You know, they went to Chelsea and did very, very well. They were lucky not to concede from the penalty spot, obviously, but I have a feeling that they could Ajax and once we've seen how I perform in Amsterdam against Chelsea on match day three, I think I'll have a a more confident outlook because Chelsea at the moment are still a work in progress under Frank Lampard. They can score goals as they showed against Wolves. And then they work, they lose to Chelsea, they lose to uh, Liverpool today, which, you know, is not a surprise. Most teams lose to Liverpool at the moment, but, you know, they gave it a really good go in the second half and they might have got something out of that game. So, yes, they could top the group. They'll need a bit of luck. Um, they could have topped the group yet last year, of course, and came second just behind Bayern after those draws. So, well, we'll we'll see. I would say at the moment, I think they might be uh, in second behind Chelsea. But it's as you say, those back-to-back match days are going to be key, and it, it really does depend who you play. I think it might be advantageous for Chelsea to have Ajax and, and vice versa in those two because they're considered the strongest two. So we'll see how that things look after match day four. Yeah, we'll have a much clearer idea then um, after those ties for Ajax against Chelsea. Um, just a little uh, hint for future listeners. Um, we've got another podcast coming up next weekend, but also um, Jonathan and I are hoping to meet in Amsterdam after the, the Chelsea match. Many exciting things coming up for football and your listeners. Um, sticking with Ajax, there's a question from Cam, and he says, ultimately... Which country do you see Serginio Dest playing for? Now, the Ajax right-back has been in the media stating that he's sort of torn between USA and the Netherlands and he wants to keep his options open for now. I think it's clear to say that the USA um, are the inferior side for the Netherlands and therefore are more demanding of getting Dest into the side. He's been called up already for the USA. But I think the Netherlands could certainly do with um, another right-back option given Karstorp's return to fitness has been slow and he's even though he's getting there he's not yet a first team option Denzel Dumfries is a very good right back for PSV but easy cut out for international level so Dest might well be an answer he's very young but someone that Kuman could certainly develop um, I, I I think that if Kuman sets his stall out to get Dest then he can grab him although I was going to say this Jonathan that I saw something on Twitter last week about uh, these flyers being sent out to American Ajax fans, and it had Dest on on the sort of cover of it, and there was a few like sort of motivational quotes about playing football for Ajax, and uh, it just looked as though Dest was being the poster boy for USA Ajax fans, which you kind of expect. But then does that actually drop a hint that Dest is interested in in playing for um, the USA? Maybe it's something Ajax can 
latch onto if he does choose the USA as it's a sort of marketable option. It's a very interesting thought about why he might choose for the USA, but it, it could well be that that sways him that way if he's an outpost for American Ajax fans. Potentially. I and mean, it's interesting that, you know, he's come to prominence this season at the start of the season. He's forced his way in through his performances. You know, last year he was playing under-19 football and then he broke into the reserve team. It's been a really stellar few months for him. And the, he hasn't been on the Dutch radar when it comes to youth teams. You know, he's not played under-17, under-19 level at all. And now he's broken into the Ajax team. They've kind of woken up to the fact that he's there and he's available. And, and now they're trying to trying to get him but you know the, Amer the Americans have, have shown much more interest you know he played at the under 20 World Cup did very well with them now he's got full international honours albeit both of the games he played in September were friendlies so you know players can be swayed undoubtedly by the fact that uh, you know the country tries hard to get them he was born in Almeria in the Netherlands you know he's, 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 he's got a parent from each country it may be the case that you know the the US have invested more in him as a player. They've sought the talent in him and they've taken him at under twenty level. That you know he might want to repay that. So until he plays a a competitive international, then we'll we'll see. And it's it's it has to be resolved quickly, obviously, as you know, because he'll be called up again for the next international window in October, I'm sure. And then you know it'll be a case of of, of when he makes his choice. Because if he does, then he plumps for the USA and they'll play a competitive game, and then he'll be a an international for them. Uh, I think, ultimately, as an answer to Cam's question, we both feel that he may choose the USA. But yeah, it's so open to debate at the moment. And Koeman's got a lot of work to do with getting um, quite a few players to choose the Netherlands who are impressing uh, at the age that they are now, where there's a lot of teenagers that he needs to try and get locked down to play for the Dutch national team. A final question on... Um, sort of Ajax and Champions League matters before we move on is from Satsmundin and he says what are your feelings on Matthijs de Ligt do you feel he made the wrong choice going to Juventus with a different style of defending do you think he will adjust and do you still believe that he will become world class there uh, now Jonathan you are again a very busy man with your commentating and you got to watch de Ligt play for Juventus in the Champions League what are your thoughts I, yeah he was you know, that was all looking good for Juventus uh, in Madrid against Atletico, 2-0 up. Uh, and then they came back. They never know when they're beating Atletico Madrid. It's difficult, you know, if he'd been partnering Chiellini, who's, much, who's more experienced, although Leonardo Bonucci is a very experienced defender as well and wearing the captain's armband now for Juventus. It's it's interesting the way that the partnership's going to work because he, he will now be partnering Bonucci with Chiellini's long-term injury, which means he's come in even though he began the season on the bench. I think he'll be okay. None of us really know what his choices were over the summer. You know, everyone assumes that he had the option to go to Barcelona. It's been talked about so much. It's been almost stated as fact that uh, he simply had to say yes, and there he was, along with Frankie, his good mate. The case is, it might not have been the deal he wanted. It might not have been the, the deal that materialised at all. You know, he might have been told he could come, but he'd have no guarantee of first-team football. He'd be behind Barcelona's current centre-halves. So, you know, we don't know whether he chose Juventus for, for which reason. He says it was because he, Italians are renowned for defending and he wants to make sure he can learn from the likes of Bonucci and Chiellini and Renzio Saudi, who's now in charge. So I think his game will grow. Positionally, you know, he's going to be a, 
he's still very much a work in progress, 20 years old. He's going to have plenty to learn, and he looks great in the Eredivisie. He looks composed for much of the time during uh, Netherlands games, but he can only improve in a side like Juventus when you have a, a goalkeeper like Buffon there as well who can uh, help in terms of positioning and when it comes to set pieces and, and those kind of things. I think it's a good choice for him and he would have been well advised. His agent's a strong one and uh, and a good one. And it, when it comes to you know making that step, and knowing that you're going to play week in, week out, which he will do now, which he wasn't guaranteed to do at Barcelona, had that even been a, a deal in the offing, then yeah, and he'll come up against you know different kind of strikers in the Italian league to the ones he was coming up against in the Eredivisie. He will certainly come up against very differently organised back lines as a, a real prevalence for, for three at the back in a lot of the teams and wide attacking players from full-back and from providing width from overlapping fullbacks and midfield. So I think he'll have plenty to deal with. Um, and I think it will be a good move for him, to be honest. And we'll have to wait and see. Now he's cemented his place, albeit through Chiellini's injury. We'll wait and see how uh, how things develop across uh, the next few months because the Italian season is still really only three games old. Yeah, there's a lot of time to go for De Ligt. Uh, you know that he'll be given a good few months to adjust to the Italian style of play. He will be world-class for Juventus, I, I'm sure of it. It just may take a little bit more time. I hope that he's, his confidence isn't too knocked by the start he's had in Italy and he can just move on from it. Let's, let's move on to talk about Feyenoord. One of the sort of hot topics Dutch are up for at the minute, given their uh, results in Europe and in the Eredivisie, Jarp Stamp, for me, I know he was receiving a bit of criticism in the early games of the season, but I think he was starting to turn it around for Feyenoord. They uh, were starting to bed in some of their new players, even their, their free transfers seemed to be starting to have an effect. Leroy Fair, for me, was one of the signings of, of the summer in, in the area of Uh But, you know, they had a difficult game against Rangers. I think they were highly overrun in the first half of their 1-0 defeat in Scotland. It could have been more before half-time. And then second half final were a lot better on the ball, but it wasn't to be. And the quality in the final third just wasn't there. We were recording on, on a Sunday. Today they drew with Emmen 3-3. And it took a last-minute equaliser from Jens Tornstler to keep the unbeaten record, which isn't a great unbeaten record at the minute, is it? Uh, given that they can't seem to win many games in the Eredivisie, when they should yeah, be beating a lot of these lower teams. I honestly don't know what to make of them. I saw them against Utrecht when it was 1-1 and they were very, very shaky at the back. I have to say, much more shaky than I thought. Yeah, he came on and he didn't do too badly today. He didn't seem to have done much wrong. Uh, Senesi came on. Um, by all accounts, I didn't see all the game, but by all accounts, he... Um, he didn't have the greatest of performances, but a friend of mine, Richard Connolly, who was commentating on it, um, likened it to uh, Lisandro Magazan being thrown in by Ajax in the uh, Classica and then, then losing 6-2 last season. So um, it wasn't an, an ideal baptism for him. It, I don't, I, I, I'm really not sure what to make of them. You know, the opening three draws was uh, was strange for Stam. In Europe, they couldn't stop scoring, but in the domestic league they were really struggling to to impose themselves on games 
Um, you know, they have Jurgensen now coming back from injury, which is fine. They missed him, certainly as a target man, in the last few weeks in the opening games because they've obviously let Dylan Venter go off on loan, so they didn't have him as an option either. Um, losing, using Narsing as, a, as an out-and-out striker didn't really work in the same way that it has worked for Tadic at Ajax. But yeah, Fair has a good signing. Narsing's a good signing wide. Uh, Sam Larson's a, a decent deputy wide on the right. I, I just I can't work out why things haven't been going for. I know Stephen Berghaus uh, missed through injury the last time. I'm not sure if he was playing today, to be honest. But um, yeah, he's the real key for them because if he's not on form or if he's not even there, then they do really struggle to to create things. And but I mean, don't think anybody would have expected them not to be Emin, even though Emin are at home, you know, and they managed one win so far. But to lose a 2-0 lead uh, in Emin is uh, is very surprising indeed. It's going to give cause for concern, I think. Certainly, some people felt that Stan was was too negative as a coach. As a, as a defender, he would sort things out defensively, but not be able to give them the style going forward. It looks like they haven't. They're, they're anything but solid defensively as well. So I'm not really sure as to how much the players have taken to him. There seem to be early optimism surrounding Stan, but you have to look at what, where he's come from as well. He didn't set the world alight with Peck Swaller and he was sacked by Reading after having a one good season with them. I hope that he can turn it around because Stan's uh, was a great player and we all want him to succeed as a manager. Uh, but yeah, the, I, I agree. It's It's hard to figure out, isn't it, Jonathan, how they just can't seem to make it click at the moment. Uh, one of the questions we received actually was to ask whether they can still qualify for the next round of the Europa League. Just after that first game, it didn't look like that they were gonna. It didn't look like they're gonna have much of a chance at the moment. They've got young boys and Porto also in their group, who for me will be too strong for Feyenoord. I think the home games in the count will be important, but I, I don't see them qualifying. No, it's difficult. I mean, it's a, it's a tough group. You know, Porto are a Champions League standard opposition. You'd expect them to, you know, to do well, even though they did fall into the Europa League, having not made it into the Champions League. Um, yeah, young boys, you know, they've been in the Champions League recently as well. So it, you have to say it's it's difficult. They have to win the home games, or they have to at least get something from the home games, uh, and and then hope that they can, you know, maybe get. So I can't see any way they can top the group. Um, I, you know, they have to. I think hope for winning their home games and then taking something away. But Rangers away was going to be arguably on paper, at least they're the easier of the three away games. So we'll have to wait and see. One other team was in Europa League action um, this last week for the Netherlands. And it was RZ who had a 2-2 draw with Partizan Belgrade. Now, neither of us managed to watch the game, um, but it was, of course, watched by many uh, Partizan Belgrade fans who were children, um, they they filled the stadium when it was meant to be an empty one. I think that may well be for the, in the favour of Partizan, but you know a decent draw nonetheless for RZ, considering they went down to ten men. What have you made of RZ this season, and have have you enjoyed watching them as much as I have? They're always great to watch going forward, aren't they? Uh, particularly this season with Adrisi and Stengs and Bordu. They're going to cause a lot of teams a lot of problems. It was only the the final penalty goal um, last week 
from Cope Miners that wasn't one of their 12 goals that actually had Stengs, Idrisi or Bordeaux involved in. They've been such a, a magnificent front three. Yeah, defensively, they can be a little bit haphazard. We've seen some shock results. We've seen them, you know, really destroy teams going forward. It could be another, you know, Arnold Slot still finding his feet in the head coach role with John von der Brom going to Utrecht or another side wrestling with the inconsistency. But I think they'll be I think they'll be there or thereabouts when it comes to Europa League places again. You know, Fonda Braun has left a, an excellent legacy. Bordeaux, if he can stay clear of injury, Stengs too, um, will be very, very key players. And Idrissi is, is now adding goals to his game. He's always been a great winger, but he's now adding the end product as well. So when you add to that the fact that Court Miners has stepped up, he's still very young, but he's wearing the captain's armband now. Kustil has gone to Spartak Moscow. It's... Uh, that looked like being a big hole to fill. Um, but so far, they've done well to, to cope without Till. I agree. I, I almost think they've done better without him because they haven't had to try and rely on, on his goal-scoring efforts. He started to get to a point where he was missing a lot of chances for RZ. But, you know, he was still a good player in their build-up and I don't think they've done too bad in replacing Till with uh, Danny DeVitt from Ajax. Uh, but yeah, their front three is electric, and the most surprising stat for me is is that RZ actually have the best Eredivisie defence at the moment. They've conceded three goals. Not something you associate with them at all, is it? Yeah, they should. Uh, they should. You know, kill, still provide the entertainment. I, I you know, I, I do worry about Flyer and um, and Steinvartens as a as a defensive pair. They're not exactly pacey, and they, you know, they. They were found out very early on in the in the last game prior to today when they beat Ardo, but you know they got away with it. They they bounced back after the early, conceding the early goal, and Fla made a an uncharacteristic error for him. Uh, as you say, that was only the third they conceded, um, and up to today when PSV conceded, they and PSV were the joint best defenses in the league, and now it's RZ out on their own. So yeah, it should be uh, it should be another good season for them, and fingers crossed they can. Uh, get the stadium fixed up and uh, we know they're sharing with Ardo up to Christmas but after that let's hope they can go back home too right um, one last question for you Jonathan before the end of our podcast today Have you, has anything else caught your eye recently in the Eredivisie I couldn't help but notice that the Tess were near the, near the top of the league which is good for them considering they're often an inconsistent side yeah there was a lot of talk in the summer about the fact that uh, this could be their year to challenge for the top four. And the way they started, certainly drawing with Ajax was uh, a good omen. The one outlier in terms of results really was that that crazy 5-0 defeat to, to PSV when Marlon scored all five goals. But if you take that out of the equation, which seems to have been just an incredible off day, then yeah, until today they were top of the league, albeit having played two games more before PSV and Ajax came together today. So this could be a good year for them to challenge for the uh, the top four, I always remember when Merab Jordania first took charge. He's now since departed the club, but his aim was to turn them into a Champions League club and uh, a club that's challenging the traditional big three for the title. That hasn't materialised. They've had a number of good starts over the last 10 years and they've always fallen away and more often than not qualified for the Europa League playoffs, which then puts you in the second qualifying round, which leaves you a long passage, as I found out last year, through to the group stage. So, this could be, you know, that yeah, they've lost Vyacheslav Kalavayev, uh, who's gone to Russia, back to Russia. But 
you know, they, that he is a, a player that they will struggle to replace and they haven't quite, um, with Lely Felt, managed to get the same calibre in there as yet. But, again, going forward, they've got quality. Barrow seems to be decent in midfield and he's chipping in with a goal or two. Brian Linson always seems to be good for, for double figures, 10 or 12 goals. And Tim Matavs is still able to put them away as well. So, yeah, I've got high hopes for Vitesse this season when it comes to uh, a top four, top five place. Fair enough. Um, Jonathan, thank you again for joining me on the Football Annie podcast. Uh, always great to have you back. Um, you, of course, featured on our Eredivisie predictions feature on the website as well this week. So thank you very much for that. And for listeners, we've got another podcast coming next week. Thank you very much for listening and joining us today. Uh, if you give us a like, if you enjoy the podcast and subscribing on our platforms, wherever you are. Um, and we'll speak to you very soon. Yeah, yeah! That is Klaassen, goal!